Welcome to PwC's Tax Readiness podcast series. This podcast is an excerpt from PwC's Tax Readiness webcast, Top Policy Trends and an Outlook for 2019, held on January 31, 2019. The panelists for the webcast were Scott McCandless, a partner in PwC's Tax Policy Services practice, John Lieber, a partner in PwC's National Economics and Statistics Group, Allison Cutler, the leader of PwC Strategic Policy Advisors Practice, and Janice Mays, a managing director in PwC's Tax Policy Services Practice. This excerpt consists of a discussion of some of the macro international trends in various areas, including trade, data concerns, and the ongoing industrial revolution. Have a listen. Allison, we really wanted to. to pull back up. So we kind of dove deep into some of the political landscape and then pulled back up and then went deep into some of the, the, uh, the economic data. Now we want to, again, go back up and look at some of the macro trends that are going on around the world. The world's turning and, boy, is it turning quick sometimes. So we want to slow down a little bit and try to make sense of uh, at least three key trends that you're seeing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we're going to take a little deeper dive into uh, talking about trade, talking about data, and talking about the fourth industrial revolution as um, sort of very important policy issues that will be uh, sort of on the table for 2019 and beyond. Um, I'd say two themes to throw out there that I think are going to impact both uh, or all three of those issues are one, policymaking is becoming much more fragmented and competitive um, than it ever has been. And, and by that, um, we mean that um, it used to be, in, like in the US, for example, Congress used to probably do a fair amount more and run more things out of the federal government, out of the agencies, or out of Congress. And now what's happening is where a lot of gaps are taking place, states and localities are stepping up and taking a much stronger role in passing legislation, regulations, and really stepping into leadership roles. And same thing um, globally. The U.S. often led in a lot of key policy areas, and it's just not the case anymore. And so, um, and jurisdictions around the world are doing things differently. And you know, many companies, most companies, are global now, and so they're having to navigate between the city of New York, what the EU is doing, what you know is happening in Brazil, and trying to create business models that accommodate all of those in, in certain areas. So it, it's a lot more complex. So I think all these issues that we're tackling, um, it's, it's harder for, our, for companies and, and for our clients to really navigate that and to stay on top of it and to figure out how to sort of uh, build their business models to, to address that. One, one micro example mm -hmm. of that is we just talked about the gas tax. Mm -hmm. Lots of states have gone out and raised their own gas taxes because Congress wouldn't deal with that. And now a lot of people in Congress are saying, oh my God, I can't do that because the states did it. So it, it's a very interesting dichotomy there. No, absolutely. Um, and then just a, a second theme uh, before we'll dive into trade is um, we like to call it sort of public sentiment is exerting a lot more influence over policymaking than it ever has. And in that we mean um, it used to be a little bit more, and, and Janice, you're, you're the true expert on this, but sort of the, the way things really worked, you, um, if you were a company, you would be in a trade association, you would have your representatives in Washington, you would go meet with the staff of a member of Congress, you would go meet with the member, go to an event with the member. That was sort of how information was shared. 
And now um, there are so many ways that information is shared. And when you throw on social media and you throw it's on instantaneous. the- It's instantaneous. Mm -hmm. And also the influence that an individual can have, whether they're uh, an employee of a company or you know part of a, an interest group, it can really have, people can have an outsized influence. A story gets out there. It's very hard to undo a story, true or not true, once it, be, it starts to catch on, on on social media, as we've all seen. So I think the way that uh, companies think about educating policymakers, the way who they think about partnering with, how they think about ex sort of expanding, how they do this, how they tell their story, how they tell their story to their customers, it's all changed now. It's, it's much harder and more complex to do, but it's really important, I think, for our clients to, to think about it that way and to really integrate um, how they talk to policymakers into their business strategy. And it isn't so much sort of a separate thing that you go and try and get a bill passed and you talk to you know 10 members of the staff and, and members of Congress. It just doesn't work quite among, that way. Among all the other things it's influenced, it makes it more difficult for the Congress to have kind of some private time to begin to build a solution mm -hmm. because social media attacks you immediately. Someone finds out that's going on and you can't find the way to make those compromises. There's no, there's no backroom deals anymore because right. you, can't, you can't even get to the back room because somebody's looking at somebody's one there. One of the reasons I'm always surprised when they actually pass big uh, legislation <laughs> these days. I think you notice that with some of the congressional schedule as well. Mm -hmm. We'll have an instantaneous exchange of information or maybe an instantaneous reaction where suddenly you can get a groundswell of people for or against something. But meanwhile, they've got maybe 30 hours of debate in the Senate. Maybe you can't schedule that next vote on somebody on a nomination or an issue till next Tuesday. And in the meantime, the pressure builds. And by the time that Tuesday vote comes along, it's been blown up. Yeah, reality has overtaken. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. fascinating. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Um, so moving on, I think, on to trade, and maybe, Scott, I'll let you take the lead here in talking a bit about um, sort of the, as we call it, the shortcomings of the, of the current global trading system. Yeah, this is kind of a fascinating area because, um, and really, we've, we've thought about this in, in two different ways. What we have before us now are some of the macro trends that are going on, the external buffeting that we talked about earlier, and then in a few moments, we'll talk about trade from the perspective of the company and how they might want to handle some of these things. But it's been fascinating to watch maybe the WTO as one example of, of many of institutions that have long stood, sometimes for decades, that are now under a bit of attack. That they just don't seem to be able to deliver results either for an individual uh, sector of the economy or an individual nation, and therefore those sectors of the economy or the nation are attacking the institution itself and saying, that's not working for us, so maybe we can reform it, maybe we can work to do that, but that's not really our main focus. We might just blow it up or ignore it altogether. And that has really been one of the challenges that we've seen. I think WTO is one of the biggest. So WTO itself grew out of decades worth of post-World War II economic integration. Uh, the theory being that an economic integration will help lead to growth for all, and also countries that trade with each other are less likely to go to war with each other. So it seemed like a rather rational idea or an inception that grew into the General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade, the GATT, and out of that in the 90s, we finally get the WTO, uh, which was supposed to be an institution that would help uh, focus any tensions between countries. But to the extent that it wasn't seen as working, they look elsewhere or ignore it altogether. But it's been a really, I mean, it's considered one of the more successful international Absolutely. organizations in world yep. history. I mean, if you look at other adjudicating bodies, they're not bringing forward nearly as many cases that are as considered as binding on the countries, the, the disputing parties as the WTO has. Mm -hmm. It's very successful. Yeah. But it looks, I mean, it's kind of like the U.S. recently has decided, well, this isn't really working for us. 
and the U.S. has been the leader in it and is sort of now trying to, is really going around the WTO to impose tariffs on Canada and China and all of its kind of, you know, allies and rivals as it sees, as to achieve its, its, its economic interests, which is really not the point of the WTO. The WTO is supposed to be the place you bring those disputes before you put in place the tariffs that you, and instead what we're doing now is tariff first, worry about the WTO later as the Trump administration is attempting to reform it. And for all its success, as you said, quite rightly, it still did have some structural concerns. For instance, its ability to integrate China, mm -hmm. uh, considered a non-market economy for WTO rule purposes, and yet it's the world's second largest economy. So what exactly do you do with that animal? Where, how does that fit? How do you, how do you address and it? That seems like one of the areas where the Trump administration's concerns are probably most valid, is that the Chinese really don't play by the rules of the rest of the world. They have a, mar a very much government-centric market economy, but government-driven in a way that very few other countries do, and no large countries do. And so I think that's part of the major complaint the U.S. has had. And that's been brewing for a long time. And sure. China, China got into the WTO only about four or five years after it was uh, uh, formed. Mm -hmm. um, so this has kind of been something that's been boiling for a long time that's now coming to a head. There have also been some complaints about the way in which the appellate body has been behaving or coming down with rulings that seem to uh, not just adjudicate an issue put before them, but also spreading a little bit more and trying to get its tendrils out a little bit further, perhaps, than its original mission. Which could actually be a failure of the um, the, the, the bodies below it yeah. to actually set the policies that the U.S. is looking Great for. point. Yeah, it's a great point. So that's one of the international trends that we've been watching. Do we, uh, we want to maybe shift to the second one that sure. talks a little bit about the data concerns? That's Absolutely. So um, as, I, as I think everyone knows, I mean, data is, um, I mean, so important to companies in all sectors now. This used to be more of a tech company conversation, and now uh, there's not a sector that doesn't use data in, in one way or another. And so this is where, this is an area where you talk about sort of policy fragmentation. Um, this, is, this is like the perfect example, right? It's um, Europe really took a lead here with passing GDPR, which was implementation was required um, last year. And um, other countries around the world, countries in Asia, countries in Latin America are working on their own versions of privacy legislation as well. And so Congress and the administration have been trying for a long time, but pretty unsuccessful over the last few years at coming together to do something. And so last year, the state of California decided they were just going to go ahead and do it themselves. And so they passed the CCPA, um, which they're working on this or rulemaking process now. But um, stand for CCPA. Yeah, oh, you're gonna ask that. <laughs> California Consumer Privacy Act, Privacy, Privacy Act, Act yeah, I think. Yeah. And it's not no, just protection limited. Act. It's not actually because they're all digital national companies. It's Correct. Not just so it's anyone California. who has right. If you have customers in California, you're, you're pretty much California, brought in, uh, or you're based in California. So it's everybody. It's, so it's basically a national law. Pretty much, yes. Um, <laughs> in in many, yeah, in many cases, right? Exactly and, to your point earlier. That, yeah, and so 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 they do this, and then and I it just and it happened pretty quickly, and it was actually driven not by the legislature; it was driven by some outside parties that sort of got sort of took some leadership and got consumers concerned and said, look, we need to do something. Outside so, parties, so not NGOs, not corporations. Yeah, individuals really, really led it. And, um, and you know, then they went through the legislature and all of that, but it was not, it wasn't a sort of a traditional path where, um, it certainly was not the corporations. I don't really think they thought it was gonna happen, is, is sort of my sense of that. And so then, so we have this law in California, and then now we have several other states that are, have draft legislation out there. We have cities that are doing it themselves as well, that are trying to pass 
their own city privacy legislation. And then we have Congress, which goes back to Janice's initial point. You know, this is an area where there is some bipartisan agreement between Republicans and Democrats and the administration. But can they prioritize this enough? Can they find a way to create federal privacy legislation. Um, certainly industry wants it. Um, I don't think industry always wanted it. Certainly a lot of industry didn't always want it, but I think industry cross-sector has come together, is really working well to try and craft something that, that makes sense. But um, And so this is where I think industry really does need to lead and really push Congress on this. Mm -hmm. But um, hoping, you know, there's, there's some hope that this Congress could do it, but all the challenges that, that Janice raised earlier unclear whether or not they're going to get to it. It seems to be so. that one of the key issues with data is can you be trusted with it? And the extent to which you can be trusted is a genuine and serious brand enhancer. A absolutely. And that's where companies can really step up and lead and have a competitive advantage and be able to be transparent, not just to policymakers, but to their consumers and to other industries to show, look, this is what we do with data. Here's how we do it. Here's you know what the consumer's right is over their data. All of that, that gives a company a chance to really be a leader. And there's companies that have certainly stepped out and, and are doing that in, in this sort of complex environment. But for the time being, it's very hard to know um, sort of what to do, right? Because you have to comply with GDPR if you have customers in Europe, and then you're going to have to comply with CCPA if you're in California. And with all these other ones coming online, it's, and they're mixed, they're different, right? CCPA is different than GDPR, so this is a this is a tough one. Um, and this is where we we welcome. Uh, I think I think most people would welcome Congress in the administration being able to step in and do something so that there's some consistency and certainty for companies to know what you know what the path is going forward in the U.S. Makes sense. Uh, is there an international body that's coordinating data privacy rules, or is it kind of like a, trade agreements, for example, will include? Provisions like the new NAFTA includes provisions around mm -hmm. uh, data sharing and data access. Is that kind of the only form for international cooperation, or is there somebody out there trying to say we should all coordinate and here's the set of rules we should follow? Um, there's, there's, that it's is not, not happening okay. uh, right so now. So you should no. expect so in the future these kind of fragmented Each country, like Brazil, is working on their own legislation right now. Different, all the different countries are. But like are TPP, working. for example, had right. some things around, like about data Correct. localization and rules. Yeah, there, I mean, there are pieces in some of those agreements, but nothing that really sort of forces um, you know countries to come together. And, and as we all know, that to your point on data localization. Right now, and I think Janice uh, had mentioned it earlier when we were talking about sort of countries, you know, taxing U.S. companies. That's what data localization around the world. Big companies are 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 you know falling under that because you know countries are saying, hey, your data, you know, can't leave our country. You have to build, you know, a facility in our country and different versions of that. So you know, once again, if you're a company that uses data, that is a very complex thing to figure out around the world, what you can do in which country and how to you know, store it and how, to sh how you can share it and, and how uh, the consumers and, and the constituents about that country, you know, what rights they have. So um, it's- through many of these discussions is nationalism. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'm curious what you meant by this next slide on uh, the fourth industrial revolution. Um, maybe a real quick highlight as to yep. what what an industrial revolution is and has looked like in the past and how this one may be similar or different. No, absolutely. So I, I would say now, I mean, the industrial revolution is emerging tech. Sure. And it's the platforms, some of the tech platforms that, that we have. And, um, you know, the understanding and the growth of those technologies is still evolving um, for everybody, but especially for policymakers, right? It's a lot to understand. There's, there's so much out there. 
AI and autonomous vehicles and, and sort of all these areas of, of emerging tech um, continue, um, you know, developments keep happening, innovation keeps happening, and there really isn't a lot of policy and legislation and regulation around it. I think, um, as we've seen, there's definitely a desire by policymakers to regulate big tech, to get involved in, in thinking about some of these areas, but trying to square that up with um, understanding it and really knowing how to do it so that um, you know innovation is not stifled, but at the same time, protecting consumers um, along the way, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. But there seems to be, it's certainly in the news every day, and there's a lot of talk around it. So I think the time is, is now that more action is going to take place, but still hard to know what that's going to be, particularly in the US, with some of the challenges we have and, with and uh, given the divided trend, Congress. Given and the trends you're describing around how we're handling data, it doesn't seem like there's going to be <laughs> a really coordinated response to how we're handling AI or uh, whatever that, No, I don't, I don't think uh, so. Um, and, and so, and I think everywhere in the world, I mean, it, none of this has evolved very far anywhere in the world, um, but now is really the time, right? Because you don't want, um, and, and I think industry wants some certainty as well, right? As you're developing products and technology, you want to understand sort of where this fits. It's, right. it's challenging, and at the same time, being able to educate policymakers and be able to show them the benefits, show them what the potential risks are, how you can mitigate it is of critical importance right now, because otherwise, you know, we could end up in a situation of overregulation or not enough, and then some bad things start to happen, and um, then you get the backlash, and then you end up, you know, oftentimes going too far. So I think that's um, that's where it sits. But it's it's certainly an interesting set of issues, and I think a lot of our companies, once again, it's cross sector, are dealing with this because they're, you know, companies are of all sectors are trying to use new technology and emerging tech to advance their businesses. So I think this is a very much stay tuned and stay engaged um, because you can really uh, be part of the process now because it just hasn't gone very far. And prior industrial revolutions don't necessarily end. Uh, like right. the machine age didn't necessarily end, it just became so ubiquitous that we're just used to it. So right. we're just waiting for that to happen with a fourth. We're not necessarily sitting by right. waiting. It's <laughs> happening to us as it's we're happening in it. fast. But it's but yes. we're in that. And Absolutely. it's just a question of where we go to next. Okay. So maybe we could actually uh, jump ahead to some of the aspects of trade in terms of how that might affect your business. Because I think that'll be and the other side of the coin to what we talked about earlier. There's some of these institutional challenges and trends going globally, that, but then when we think about what's what aspects of our business are affected by trade, the fascinating thing about this to me is that you have enormous parts of a business that are touched by trade. When we have conversations about tax, it tends to be a tax director, a tax department, a little bit more discreet of a function within an overall company. Mm -hmm. But for trade, it could be just about anything within the company. It could be everything from the loading dock to the C-suite and everything in between supply chain and the relationship uh, with your suppliers and your customers and your sourcing. But also you need to have a conversation with your tax folks about transfer pricing and how that might impact your, your overall pricing strategy. So it all really fits together in ways that think challenge and stress an organization to get their hands around it. I'm curious if you've had any institutional observations in talking to clients about these things. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think what you just said is totally accurate. It's kind of hard. I think, it, and I think companies are struggling now with how to respond to a rapidly changing trade environment when for a very long time, yeah. trade liberalization essentially went one way, which became easier for companies to do business across borders. And now all of a sudden that's come to a screeching halt and in many ways it's becoming harder. So supply chains are being rethought out, and as your supply chain is being affected by new tariffs, who do you go to within the company? To who's who owns that within the company? How do they respond? Where do they go to get answers? I think that's something that we see a lot of companies that we talk to are, are dealing with right now. Yeah, and trade I, has begun to touch climate, you know, health mm -hmm. issues, labor issues, 
all sorts of things beyond our normal tariff and broader thoughts of trade. Right, and, and a question for you, Scott, um, sure. is that a lot of clients are asking, um, is this going to last? Like, is this just yeah, sort of a blip right. on the screen? Is this because President Trump was, is it because Trump was elected? Or is this, is the global trading regime changing? Mm -hmm. um, and certainly would welcome um, views on that. Because some of this planning, as you mentioned, supply chains and all that, depends yeah. right. on whether or not Are you going to outlay a bunch of costs for can, um, right. can you, one year Can you wait tariffs? it out? Yeah, or yeah. do uh, you need to really build your, your manufacturing in a different country? Um, and so. Well, the answers to those specific questions will, will come, but I think the answer to your big right. question is, yeah, this is here to stay. I think this box has been open, you know, to you know, beat up Bigger. a metaphor that's been used <laughs> a million times, but this is here to stay. Um, not only within the U.S., where I think you'll have an interesting situation heading into the 2020 election, where Democrats will say, hey, part of the trade issue and angst about trade was kind of a natural fit for us politically, and we're looking at the map in 2020. We want to win back some states that we think Donald Trump might have won before he was president and is now president because he was hitting on a trade issue, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, things like that. So they might try to seize some of that back, such that whoever wins in 2020, if it's not Donald Trump, will, will probably have campaigned on some similar Similarly strong trade rhetoric, maybe to maybe tackling it in, in a different way. I don't mean to imply that they're embracing Trump or Trumpism. I just mean that that issue will stay alive. And I think other countries have seen the effect of this too, like we were talking about with the WTO. As an institution, maybe it's not exactly seen its best days. And uh, other countries are saying maybe there are other ways in which my interest can be best put forth. And I think that we're going to see more of that. I think it is here. For, it is here for the long run. It it was going to be bumpy, yeah, and yeah. not precisely in one direction at the time. Exactly. But and and, and trade yeah. is an easy blame recipient for anything you're unhappy sure. with in this world. And right now, people are unhappy with a lot of things. Maybe very quickly, Janice, I can put to you the prospect for USMCA, the NAFTA oh 2.0. Just real quickly in the context but of the trade. The question there is, is really going to be how do Democrats find a way to move it forward? Mm -hmm. It's not there yet. And I will say, I think very clearly, as a caucus, they haven't considered it yet. Sure. Yeah. Some of that will depend on where a lot of the unions have been relatively silent. Mm -hmm. So sometimes just a nod, not necessarily an endorsement, but a, but a sense that this is better than what we have today. Mm -hmm. Is a, is a way to go forward. Whether the president's threat of removing the existing NAFTA helps or hurt, I'm not certain in terms of getting this done, but I think there are paths forward. Gotcha. Maybe not immediately this year, but at some point. Yeah, it may take a while. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like more information about this topic, please contact the speakers. Their contact information is in the description of this episode. Thank you. Thank you.